be in the house of God. And I don't just say that as a cliche, amen. You know, we sang that song, um, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And if, if we're all honest with ourselves, there are various stages in our lives where we walk into the house of God and we bear a spirit of heaviness. Has that ever happened to anybody? Okay, yeah, okay, well, it's happened to me. And the joy of coming into the house of God is that we don't, in church, when we praise and worship, we don't have to stand there with our heads hanging down, with our hands hanging down, but we can put on the garment of praise. It's a literal putting on, in a sense, where we make a deliberate choice in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in and around our lives to worship God and the joy that that brings to our hearts. Amen? And uh, just uh, to offer unto him the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips unto Jesus. And so um, I shared that as a personal testimony this morning and so I thank God for his grace. So let's turn to the word this morning and Ephesians chapter 6. Now this will be the last message in this series on Ephesians Um, and we've been looking at obviously the issue of sit, walk and stand and uh, we looked at stand last week where we introduced the the words of scripture there from verse 10 through to verse um, um, 14 therefore or part A Stand therefore, and we made the emphasis of the spiritual war that we are engaged in, the spiritual battle that is raging around us and of the need for us as Christians to learn to fight and above all to stand or in other words as Paul would have put it, to to hold our ground and so that when the enemy comes upon us in that evil day having done all to hold our position to stand And really that is a position uh, of strength in Christ in the fact that we know who we are in Christ, our our position in him and that it doesn't matter what the enemy would throw at us, we can stand strong in the power of his might as the scripture says. Not in our own strength. No, but in his power and the power of his might that empowers us to do so. And so we looked at this and we considered it because the enemy, we are engaged in a battle, a combat and the enemy seeking to steal, kill and to destroy. He wants to deceive. He wants to undermine the work of God. They are ceaseless in their attacks to, do, uh, to try and, and thwart the purposes of God and what God's doing in our lives to bring the Christian into some form of bondage or to live uh, in a manner that is below what God has for us or whatever the case may be. And so Paul would tell us to be strong in the, in the Lord and the power of his might. That was the thing that we looked at. But there were two things, instructions in verse 11. One was that and the second one was this. Put on the whole armour of God. Put on the whole armour of God. And so this is what we're going to consider 
in the scripture today as we go through this. And this is something that Paul the Apostle, I believe, had been thinking long and hard about uh, over a period of time, years actually, uh, in which God had begun to reveal these things to him as he began to understand some of the dynamics of the Christian life uh, and, uh, and how he made that comparison and illustration of the Roman soldier. In actual fact, it was something the Holy Spirit progressively, I believe, revealed to him. As we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul makes a, a reference where he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. But you see, now those words, uh, they, they make reference to some of the things that we're going to consider in a general sense, but this is some years before Paul writes uh, to the church at Ephesus and uh, obviously uh, the uh, circumstances are different uh, having been in Roman prison and so forth. And so now he elaborates further on this concept and this thought and uh, goes into greater detail as he makes the comparison of a Roman soldier when he writes, put on the whole armour of God. And as we consider the, 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 the armoury and the, the weapons of um, the Roman soldier, we gain a spiritual insight into the spiritual war and the manner in which we are to engage. Now, there are two aspects that we're going to consider and that is the two aspects of the, of uh, the armour is this. One aspect is it's defensive. There's a defensive aspect to the armour, obviously, because we're under attack but there is also an offensive aspect to the armour and the weapons as well. And it's learning to understand this and apply these things so that not only are we defensively to stand, but we can offensively also come against the strategies because we're in a combat. Remember that. We looked at the Greek word for wrestle, which is pale, and it means it comes from the Greek word palestra, which was a, an auditorium in which the, the, the ancient Greeks would, um, would do many things but it was one-to-one hand combat was involved in this and lots of combative uh, uh, things, you know, whether it's boxing or whatever. And this brings me, and I was thinking about this because there's a story of, um, of, of uh, one of the mighty men of David, his name's Beniah, and uh, the Bible says this about Beniah. He was one of the mighty men for various reasons, but one of the reasons the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, it says, Beniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And so could you imagine Beniah? He's in, the, he's in the palestra, so to speak. He's in the pit. And it's a snowy day. He's overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and he is in hand-to-hand combat and in that evil day, having done all to stand, and Beniah was victorious. And so too must we prevail, amen, in the power of his might and his power. We are to stand and also be victorious as well. So let's look at this. In chapter 6, verse 14, as we continue Paul's words, Stand therefore, 
having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Now, again, there's a lot to unpack here and we could go into great depths uh, if we so cho- chose to, but I want to cover this in one session uh, so we'll obviously touch upon various aspects and things as we progress to apply it this morning. But Paul's words are clear, put on the whole armour of God. That is all of the armour. You see, it's not just the selective one or two. You see, if we're going to be successful in the battle, then it is imperative and critical that we put on the whole armour of God. It all must go on and when you begin to understand this and see this in the way in which Paul goes about explaining it, it teaches us something very valuable about spiritual warfare. And it's interesting because the first thing he says in verse 14, when he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember in my earlier days reading these, uh, this and we, you know, we talk about the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and we can make emphasis for good reason on these aspects. Of, but you kind of say, oh well, the belt of truth. And yet uh, we sometimes can just be a bit, 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 little bit dismissive of it without fully realising and understanding why Paul has used this particular phrase first. And, uh, and it is very important that we understand this because this is very deliberate what the Spirit of God is communicating to us. It's not just haphazard, the, oh well we'll say the belt of truth just to get that out of the way. In actual fact the belt of truth that, that Paul is referring to is primarily the, one of the mo- if not the most important part of the whole armour of God. Because if you begin to understand how the belt of truth works on a Roman soldier's armour, you begin to realise its significance and without the belt everything falls apart. Everything, you can't put on the whole armour of God if you don't have in position the belt of truth. For example, there was a latch on the belt that enabled the shield to be attached in battle. There was the sheath for the sword of the... Uh, well, so I say sword of the spirit. <laughs> well, we can call it that, but in, in the natural sense, the Roman soldier, there was the sword in which the sheath that it was, uh, the sword was put in that was attached to the belt and the belt was also hung in such a way that the breastplate uh, that was uh, over the chest of the Roman soldier was then attached to the belt and held in position and in place. And so these are some of the various aspects that are associated with the belt that was on the Roman soldier. So when Paul looks at this and he makes these various connections and he first makes the point that we are to gird our, um, what does he say? He says, having girded your waist 
with truth. You see, this is important. If, you don't, if the belt was not attached, then everything would not be functional and the whole armour would be ineffective. You know, men, I don't know if it's what you're like, but we can get dressed all nice, but sometimes the pants, are, if, they, if we don't have the belt on and have it all strapped up, you know, there can maybe some things can go wrong. You know what I'm saying? The belt comes, you can, I mean, I look good. This suit looks beautiful. But if I don't put my belt on, I could potentially have some problems. You see, the belt is very significant, though it seems insignificant. And so, so it is in the, sold, in the Roman soldier's armoury that we see this and uh, this is what Paul is alluding to. So you have the, the shield, you had the sword, you had the breastplate. And now Paul calls this belt the belt, well, the belt of truth. And so when we talk about truth, we understand that Paul is referring to here the, the, the whole word of God. From the beginning to the end, we call it the logos, the whole word of God as a whole. And so uh, this is uh, something that uh, the entirety of God's word that we must uh, um, be attached to and be giving ourselves to. We must read, we must understand, we must be seeking God and we must be girded with the belt of truth, the word of God. If we're not, we're in serious trouble. Isn't it so that God would say about Israel that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge? And so when we, are, when we fail to read God's word, when our minds are not filled with the word of God, when we are not meditating on the word of God and feeding our spirit and our soul and being transformed by the word, then what happens is that there is an inability to understand various aspects of God's word, whether uh, the truth that it contains. And so in the midst of the battle, there's nothing to draw on because we're ignorant of the word of God. And so if we don't know the word of God, then the truth is, how can we stand? I'm talking about here those uh, that uh, for various reasons would neglect the word of God and not read it as they ought to or as they should. And so we must understand this issue of the belt of truth. We have to know the Word of God. We have to be reading the Word of God. We have to be seeking God on a, on a, on a, on a, um, uh, a serious level in which it's daily and uh, weekly and consistently where we're disciplined in our approach to our, our Bible reading. This is of importance. So there is first and foremost that you may be, uh, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, the truth. Then Paul says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so this is quite interesting because as I was studying this, the breastplate that the Roman soldier wore obviously was covering his chest but it was also a very um, elegant type of uh, um, armour in which to look at and behold it shines. 
and uh, you know, so it was. Uh, it had various features about it that that uh, made it uh, pretty uh, uh, to look at and to observe, as well as obviously its practical purpose. But the breastplate that Paul talks about here is very clear when he says, "Put on the breastplate of righteousness." And we understand that clearly as being the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us in him. Amen? The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Having been declared with righteous, having been imputed with the righteousness of God, amen, this becomes for us a breastplate because when the enemy wants to attack us and tell us how wicked and evil we are, well, we understand that. Our brother James prayed this morning and he said, the chiefest of sinners or vile sinner that he was before he come to know Christ. And so it is. We can say that knowing that we don't stand in our own righteousness but in his righteousness that gives us so much boldness and confidence and assurance and so that becomes a breastplate of righteousness and when we look at the breastplate, amen, not only do we see the beauty of God's righteousness that is in us and upon us but rather also, amen, it is a defence against the strategies of hell that say, who are you? Look at your sin. Look at your failure. How can you be a Christian? How can you be saved? And yet we know that we can stand in the righteousness of God. But you see, it's, that's the, obviously the, the primary aspect. And it, was, it protected the heart, the breastplate, in the same way that the righteousness of Christ protects us. Amen through the gospel and through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you see, there's another aspect also that this issue of the the breastplate of righteousness that we can make a further application, if you so will. If we're going to stand in the midst of uh, of the enemy, then it's imperative that in life we walk in righteousness. Amen? It's not just enough to talk about the righteousness of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect, uh, because, uh, but I'm saying that we have to, with the knowledge that we have and the understanding that we have, uh, we must walk in righteousness. Because if we're not obeying God in areas of our lives, if we are doing things that are disobedient to God or we're not walking worthy to God, then how can we stand against the enemy? See, and so the issue of practical righteousness is very, very important in the Christian life. One man said, uh, when a man is clothed with practical righteousness, he is impregnable. And there's something about ordering our conduct aright. There's something about uh, um, uh, walking in a manner that we know is pleasing to God, knowing that our steps are, uh, are, being, uh, are walking in the, in the truth that gives us such confidence and assurance and, and the enemy cannot penetrate that. But if we're compromising or if we're lying, it becomes like a playing field for the enemy, does it not? And so there's that aspect as well that we can consider. You see, we can't resist the devil if we're not submitted to God. Submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If we're not submitted to God, then how can we resist? 
And so there are those aspects that are to be considered. Let's look a little bit further, verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so there's a few things again. Again, we tend to read that and think about the gospel of peace that we preach. And uh, that is important and, and, and I guess again that is by extension make, you can, we can make that application. But as I consider this, uh, the, the, the gospel of peace, amen, is something that we first have possessed. We're talking about a spiritual battle here. And so the enemy wants to constantly undermine the peace of God that we have. And so you see the Roman soldiers' shoes, they were also, uh, on the bottom of them, they had particular spikes or nails that allowed them in the middle of combat to hold their ground. And so too in the midst, uh, and this is, uh, uh, the, as Paul would refer to it, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we too, we stand in the fact that we have, uh, we have made peace with God and therefore we have the peace of God. And we stand in that peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And so that peace is not to be rested. You know, that's why Paul would say, may the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so we stand in that peace. And the enemy would want to undermine that and he would want to cause us to be anxious, fearful or whatever the case may be. But we can have perfect peace. Isaiah says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. You see, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to create confusion and a flurry of thoughts and cause us to be tossed to and fro here and there, but we are keeping our mind fixed upon him and in doing so, we are kept in perfect peace. This is very important for the Christian. And then, obviously, having shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we can make the further application of the fact that, um, uh, again, we're carrying forth the gospel. We preach, we preach the gospel of peace and we call the sinner who's an enemy of God unto repentance and uh, we, 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 we call them to make peace with God and be saved. And so, again, there's that aspect. Let's move on. Verse 16. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. See, now Paul is moving through this whole armour of God as he's observing on the Roman soldier and he makes emphasis now to the shield of faith. Now remember I said to you earlier that the shield of faith was harnessed on the belt of truth that Paul refers to earlier and this tells us, amen, that our faith must be attached and built on the word. And so this is why um, it is important that the belt of truth is girded to our waist because if we don't have the word, then how can we exercise the level of faith that is uh, required or expected or uh, we need to in a given moment or circumstance? You see, we need to be able to draw upon the word of God. So when the enemy comes, uh, this thing is attached to us uh, and we have the shield of faith. You see, if we don't have 
the Word of God in our lives, then it's very difficult to grow in faith. Amen. You see, what's also interesting is the shield of faith was made of, uh, apparently, they say six layers of leather. And so this, this was overlaid, overlaid, it'll overlaid in, it, uh, in terms of uh, the, the shield itself. And uh, one thing that was, is noted is that the shield had to be maintained. And the manner in which uh, it, it had to be kept supple and durable ob- for obvious reasons, otherwise the leather would get tough and hard and, and, and so forth. And so to do that, they would need to constantly oil the leather to keep the shield of faith uh, uh, fresh, if you want to call it, and vital and, and, um, and operative uh, and efficient and effective in battle. And so too, amen, for us as well, the shield of faith is something that uh, uh, we have to have, but it's something that needs to be maintained. Our faith is such a precious commodity. What is it that overcomes the world? Our faith. Yeah, faith is so important. Hebrews teaches us this whole, whole aspect of the, the, the vital importance of faith to the Christian. And so faith has to be maintained even for ourselves and that is through reading the word of God. It has to be oiled to be kept supple and fresh. And I thought about that and the Bible says we have an anointing that teaches us the Holy Spirit in us, amen. The oil being representative of, of his spirit. And when we are in the word, amen, when we are seeking God, the spirit of God is opening our understanding. The spirit of God is quickening these verses of this Bible to us and making these scriptures real, amen. I remember when you, when you have that hunger and thirst and you read the Bible, it's not like a dead letter. This thing's alive, and you read and it comes alive and the Spirit of God quickens it to your spirit and you are being oiled and you are being kept fresh and revitalised and strengthened in the inner man so that we can stand and be strong and our faith will, amen, be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. See, faith must be, uh, you know, like Jesus said, faith is a mustard seed, it has to be authentic, but faith must grow and the just shall live by faith. And not only that, uh, we go from faith to faith. So there's a constant growth of faith in the Christian. Amen. Our faith needs to be stronger and bigger, so to speak, than when we were first Christians. Wouldn't you agree? But we grow into that. And we mature into that. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. When we sit here today and we hear the word of God preached, our faith is to be built up. We're supposed to hear this message and think, you know what, I can stand. I need to stand. I can stand because God can make me stand. And our faith is is stirred and is strengthened and is edified and we are equipped for the battle. Now Paul says... That, uh, that we are to take up above all the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Again, we're in a battle. 
And in the, in, in the war, when they would be in combat, we understand that they would have those, they would call them fiery darts. And these were darts that were just um, filled with tar and they were, you know, they were aflame and they would fire these darts, these fiery darts at the enemy and it was the shield that would, would, would absorb that dart so that it wouldn't penetrate the arm, uh, you know, and they would be protected. And that's why the Bible says that we may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one. So that whatever goes, things that sometimes that come before us or what enters into the mind and little fiery darts of the enemy that want to cause our mind to race and to run and to be maybe struggle with doubt or unbelief or anger or hatred, whatever the case may be, just thoughts of despair and discouragement, then we can arrest those thoughts, amen? Because the shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. You see, you can't control the darts that are coming but I tell you we can, we can quench them we don't have to embrace those thoughts we don't have to run with those thoughts but so often we do and so we have to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one otherwise the enemy wants to uh, lodge these things in our hearts and in our minds wicked thoughts, lustful thoughts hateful thoughts, whatever they are, or however they relate to us, the enemy knows what our weaknesses are and he has a fiery dart for each of us. We have to be able to identify it, we have to be able to quench it and that shield of faith is our, is our defence weapon for that, as the scripture says. Verse 17, again, we're moving through these quickly for time's sake, obviously. Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. Now, you could picture a helmet. Again, these helmets were not just, you know, you know like the gridiron, <laughs> you know, that they have, or that the football players, a helmet of such. No, these, these helmets were quite elaborate pieces. And so, again, they could be, to behold, they were... They were uh, 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 beautiful to the naked eye, so to speak. And so when we talk about the helmet of salvation, we can understand that God's salvation is a helmet, amen, that protects our minds. And so because uh, the, the salvation of God is that which gives us, amen, blessed assurance. The salvation of God is that which gives us confidence and boldness. The salvation of God this morning is something that preserves us and the helmet protects us and preserves us over the longevity of the Christian life that gives us confidence and enables us to live in victory because we have the helmet of salvation. And so again, this is part of the armour, something that we are to possess and to wear and we, as we cannot engage in the battle without the helmet of salvation and thank God that he has provided salvation for us and it compares it to a helmet. You can hit a helmet hard, real hard. But it's the helmet, amen, that's, that, that protects us. People that ride motorbikes, they say, you know, the helmet is, is imperative because you can get banged. But you see, the helmet of salvation is even stronger, amen, against the assaults and attacks of the evil one against us. Then we have the next aspect, 
Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now again, this is interesting and we must bring the distinction because Paul talks about the belt of truth. And the belt of truth represents the whole counsel of God. It represents the whole word, all scripture as we know it. But you see, when we talk about now the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we're talking now in a different or more specific or definitive aspect. And again, the, the sword or the sheath for the sword was attached to the belt. And again, you have to have the belt if you're going to use the sword when required. And again, the sword is not some of, uh, uh, defensive mechanism, but rather, I mean, it is offensive. You don't get a sword and something, a two-edged sword and just look at it or somehow, you know, sure it can protect you from the enemy but it's to be used, amen? A, a sword is used and a sword is used to kill. And so it's in this sense that we must understand the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. See, Jesus, we know, he came under temptation. He was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came to him and quoted, misquoted scripture, as he does to all of us. That's why it's imperative to know the word, so that you could pull out the sword and you can put a scripture in context. And you can say no, because the word of God says, and you quote, and you quote back. That's what Jesus did. And that teaches us again and gives us an insight in how we also, in the midst of the, the battle, we can too uh, understand the, how to use the sword of the Spirit. You see, the sword is sharp. The Bible says that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and pierces. Now, that obviously talks about how it speaks to us and ministers to us and so forth, but still the principle applies in whatever way you want. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we have to know and learn how to use the sword. Now, I said to you before that the belt of truth represented the, the logos, the whole Word of God. Well, there's another Greek word as well which represents the word of God and it's the word rhema, the rhema of God. And the Logos speaks of the broader aspect of the scriptures whereas rhema deals with the specific. So when Jesus quoted the scripture to the devil, he was speaking the rhema of God, a specific scripture in a moment of time. And so too, because if, you're going to be, if Jesus was going to be effective, he had to speak specifically. And so too, as it is for us, when we take, when we, the Bible talks about the word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, then we have to be, uh, there are, there are there's specific scriptures that we can use, that we can draw, that God will quicken to our spirit at a given moment and those scriptures bring comfort, those scriptures bring strength, that we can quote them in such a way that we can stand 
and we can nullify the assaults and attacks of the devil. And how many times in my Christian life, and I'm assuming in yours as well, where you have had to rest and you've drawn upon the Word of God, where thoughts have come into your mind and you've been able to take up the Word of God or a scripture and quote that scripture in your mind or just in a general sense, just meditate upon it and in doing so you are able to just nullify the attack of the enemy. It is important to know the scripture and have the rhema of God at a given moment in the midst and heat of the battle. You see, again I say to us, if God's word is not in us, then how can we use the sword? How can we combat effectively if we don't know the word of God? It's the same truth again. This is why I stress the importance of reading God's word. This is why I say to young and old that we need to read, we need to meditate, we need to fill our minds with the Word of God. I cannot overemphasize that this morning because I tell you the more the Word of God is in us, the greater our strength will be uh, again to, to wage this war with the enemy. And so it's using the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God in such an effective and may we say in a deadly manner that will, that will nullify every strategy from hell, every work of the enemy and in, have, in that evil day having done all to stand. Then we come to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You see, praying always with all prayer and supplication. You see, the Christian life, the whole armour of God is in place. But you see, it all becomes effective when we are in prayer. There was one man who said, I can stand tall, on my knees. Think about that. I can stand tall on my knees because when we are engaged in prayer, this is where the battle is fought. Amen? And we are praying, we are calling upon God, we are making various supplications and intercessions before the Lord in prayer and we are literally engaging in the battle. Prayer is so vitally important. We cannot, as in the same way we cannot neglect the word of God, we cannot neglect prayer. And we have to be a people that are praying. And Paul says, pray, or praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now in the spirit, in the last prayer meeting, actually I shared a word and I just spoke about this very briefly but in the spirit doesn't necessarily, primarily mean praying in tongues. That's something that can be done, but that's not what Paul has in mind specifically and fundamentally, as Jude would also use the word, praying in the Holy Spirit. It's talking about being in the spirit. And it's talking about, you know, the Bible exhorts us to walk in the spirit, to be filled with the spirit. And when we are or to have the mind of the Spirit, amen, so we know or how we ought to pray. Thank God for people who know how to pray, amen. 
that they can pray and they can engage in their prayer, uh, the Word of God and use the Word of God in their prayer and this makes prayers even more effective. Amen? And so praying in the Spirit is important for us because this is where the battle rages and this is where ultimately uh, it is fought and won. Prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. And we do, we have to persevere, amen? I mean, this is lifelong. Persevere, endure. We've got to get back. We've got to keep praying because the enemy, it's like a war of attrition. The enemy wants to weary, make us weary. Enemy wants to make us uh, so tired that we just don't feel like, you ever felt like not praying, not coming to church. That's when you need to come to church. That's when we need to pray. When the enemy's coming in and when the attack is full force, uh, you don't step back. You stand. The temptation is to isolate. The temptation is to withdraw. Oh, well, I just don't feel like it today. Well, doesn't matter. Put on the garment of praise. That's why I shared that this morning. Oh, no, you're just being a hypocrite. No, you're not being a hypocrite. You see, because this is the, this is the nature, the practical aspect of the life that we live. If we all just begin uh, to worship God and, and uh, in this battle we all grow weary... But God strengthens us. Amen. He's the one that uh, invigorates us and the life of the Spirit empowers us uh, and we are revitalised again and again and again. And yes, I feel weak. I felt weak. We all know what it is to feel weak. uh, But God gives us His grace and that we can go again and we can go again. And so... Persevering with all supplication for the saints, praying always. So this kind of brings us to a conclusion this morning and really uh, what has been I don't, over the period now, of, I think on my notes it says uh, number 10, but we've looked at this whole epistle of the book of Ephesians and so we have the whole aspect of the sit, walk and stand. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. didn't realise that the mic was going to be so loud. But you sit in our position, seated with Christ, blessed. We, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6, we are seated with Christ. We, are, we have been made to sit in heavenly places. But our battle is with, and we have to learn now then to walk as a Christian. This is important because we don't walk walk like the world. We don't look like the world. We don't act like the world. There must be something definitively, distinctively different. And so we need to walk in a manner that is worthy before the Lord, as Paul would tell us earlier in Ephesians. So there's sit, walk, and then there's the issue of standing. And I think I've made it clear. I pray that the Lord has spoken to us all over the journey of this, of these, uh, uh, these teachings. And I pray that God's, you, you, as God's people, have been edified. Stand. Let me read to you again. I like the, the Williams translation of the way he says, 
so you must put on God's full armour so as to be able to take a stand in the day when evil attacks you. Because evil will attack you. And after having completely finished the contest to hold your own, having done all to stand. You see, after we have completely finished the contest, I'm still standing. That was a big fight. That was a big battle. Copped a few punches. But I'm still standing in Christ and the power of his might. And thank God that God always leads us to triumph in Christ. Thank God we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Thank God for these very things. And this epistle has been so rich with so much spiritual truth. And I pray that you have been blessed by it this morning. So let's conclude in a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, this morning for your grace. I just thank you, God, for the armor of God that we had to put on, the whole armor of God. To stand in that which is ours in Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing. God, there is such richness and the riches of your grace that have been revealed to us, the salvation that we have. Lord, all these things that are contained in this particular epistle, Lord, that you have spoken to us. I just pray for your people, Lord. Continue to give them, enlighten their understanding. Continue, Lord, to uh, give us uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Continue, Lord, to build on those things that we have touched upon. And the anointing that teaches us, Lord, let it lead us so into truth. I pray, O oh God, you'd bless each and every individual in Jesus' name. Amen.